Welcome to Supply Chain Radio. I'm Greg Kiefer. I'm joined in the studio today by John Nadvernick to talk a little bit more about supply chain visibility. John, welcome to the show. Thank you, Greg. Good to be back. Wasn't sure you were going to let me come back. Well, I know. Hopefully you're comfortable in your studio chair there that we have for you. You look you look good. You know what? I think I look better than the chair. <laughs> I'm not sure. This chair is not the most comfortable. Yeah, he was complaining about our studio furniture. So we're going to have to go out and buy some new stuff here for Supply Chain Radio Studios. So John... You know, you spend a lot of time in your professional life and have done so for many, many years on supply chain visibility technology. That's what you do. You run a product line. You've implemented it at very large companies. And I thought, you know, in just kind of talking about this with you, I think one of the things with visibility that often comes up is I think everybody kind of knows it's a good thing and they need it, but sometimes they often will struggle when it gets to what kind of value does it drive? And if you think of, say, manufacturing as kind of a, a zone of the companies out there, you know, when you're out there working with these clients and, of course, having to justify because they're, they're paying a lot of money for this thing, and what are some of the common value cases that they kind of lean on to, you know, to get the project going? I'm thinking about inventory and speed and things like that. What are some of the things that these companies tend to start with when they initiate a visibility project in their supply chain? Yeah, so I think you touched on probably one of the major ones, I think. I'll come back to that one. I think the one area which most companies are trying to control is transportation cost. So changing just it up a little bit is I think a lot of customers look for visibility to say, hey, we have a ton of expedites going on in our supply chain because we don't know where product is. We, you know, we expedite something from overseas into our location. And the day before that arrives, the product we actually ordered arrives. So we just spent money on expediting. Now we have excess inventory. So when you look at trying to balance that out of trying to reduce inventory and that cost out, those are usually where customers are really tackling it for. So I think Reducing inventory, that's basically shrinking the amount of time you have product in your supply chain. Most systems say, hey, it takes 40 days from point A to point B. And there's the 40 days is probably the outlier. You know, That's the max component of what it takes for me to get something, or an average plus some days. If you can shrink the average either by you know, better managing through handoffs between, you know, transition points or better supplier delivery out of a port, a better performance of getting things out of consolidation, all those areas can help you reduce that inventory you have in your pipeline. And a long time ago, we used to just talk about, you know, just tell me what one day of in-transit inventory means to a customer. How much is that savings for you? Most customers don't really understand it from that perspective, but that could be a huge significant number for a large manufacturer or even a large retailer for that point. Just what is that one day going to call you? If you can slice that out, is that investment worth you in the software? Now it's, you know, working capital number, but it's still an interesting view. I think that's an area. The other area that I think we get occasionally, or well, not occasionally is probably the wrong word, where we get more frequently now than what we might've gotten to pass is more on the service side. Being able to make commitments to their customers around when product is gonna be available so that they can hold on to those customers, make them more loyal to their product, I think is really what's another big, big trend that we're seeing. Right, do you think that that last one there is driven in part by what's going on with you know Amazon and you know the whole two day shipping? And you know that's one thing to you know order uh, a phone and have it delivered in Prime in two days, it's a very different thing to supply very customized components to an assembly plant or something like that. But at the end of the day, those folks all go home at night and see what Amazon does. Do you think it makes the bar rise, the performance expectation bar rise in other categories that aren't 
competing directly with Amazon? Oh, for sure. I think there were customers that were on a cutting edge even before Amazon became what they are today. But I think there are customers that are really trying to solve that problem because they had those demands and wanted to keep their end users. But now I think that's heightened to everybody's concerned about how well is delivery? How can I get that information to my customer? How do I give them information about things being late or on time? How can I be more proactive in my space so that I can keep customers loyal to my brand? Like many customers are going through that. And it's an interesting shift because you mentioned parts into a plant. Even the plants are used to that. So not even just their customers, just so I'm getting supply and to build a good. The plants are, have expectations that that visibility, that timeliness, that level of information is going to be you know, accurate and I'm going to be able to see exactly when my parts are going to arrive because they're waiting for then the guy on the other side who's asking for when's that product going to be ready so I can ship it to my customer, right? So that that's a trickle effect, right? All the way around. Now, the guy who's doing the sales is getting bugged by the customer who's then going to the plant to say, when is it going to go? Who's then going to the buyer who's saying, when is the product going to be there? So it's all linking together and and the nice thing about visibility, if you're on a single platform, which we talked about in our, you know, one of our other radio sessions was that end-to-end view. So linking that all end-to-end view comes together. And that's what makes it a nice platform to see it on. It's funny because you just touched on something which is kind of interesting. And that is, you know, the, the notion of the role of supply chain excellence mm-hmm. in customer service, right? And the kind of the, one of the main connecting technology layers could be visibility, right? The ability for you know, a, a dealer to know when the parts are going to arrive or when, you know, a plant's going to expect the the raw materials to make something. I mean, that customer service dimension, just simply knowing, get, being able to deliver that right information seems like that's step one, right, in, in a better service experience at one of these companies. That's a very true statement. I think one of the things that visibility enables in that area may not be the delivery mechanism for all of that, but enables the system, again, if you're bringing a part that's going to go into a, another part that's going to be manufactured, you know, your manufacturing lead time might not, not be totally available in visibility, but the fact that it's running late and visibility can notify of that, then you can change that over to something that's delivered in the planning system, then can make the commitment to the customer. And then maybe straight through retail, it's a little bit easier and a finished good. But when you're going through manufacturing, visibility can enable the planning system to give a better end result to their end customer. Right, right. Now, the other, another area that gets talked about a fair amount, and we probably owe it to our audience to touch on this is the whole notion of, you know, responsiveness to the unexpected, right? So the Japan tsunami was a was a very well documented supply chain event disruption, but there's little things happening all over the place. And I, I always like to say, you know, he or she who sees soonest and fastest and most accurately can respond better, right? To keep things running smoothly. Do you see a lot of that out in the field? I think that happens when you talk about the big events. I think there's a small events, like a fear of a slowdown of work, a fear of a slowdown of of weather going through an area that might disrupt the port or an airport. All that, being able to know quickly how much product you got going through there and prepare for the scenarios, I think more and more customers are jumping on that, even in the smallest event possible, not even in a largest event. I think there was just one not too recently where people got prepared for a small event and kind of just worked at having visibility and saying, this is how much I have going into a place is just as important as knowing how much I have at a place. So if you have it at the place, it's kind of lost. If it's still going into the place, can I divert? What can I do? So your customers are making two plans. What I have there, what I'm going to do with stuff I'm losing and what I have going through there and how do I divert and what has not moved that's planned to go there and how do I deal with those as well? And looking at those horizons, I think 
it's interesting to watch customers use the information differently. Right, yeah. It's funny because I actually talked to one of our clients at Electrolux, and he had talked about, because I asked him that very question, I said, okay, we all know about the, you know, the ash cloud and the tsunami and some of these major events, right, that affected everybody, but he said that these things are happening in small places all over the world every day. And he talked about how a couple of ships collided in a port in Indonesia. And because they had visibility and they were able to assess what was on those vessels and impacted, had they not had it, he thinks they would have missed their entire Brazilian holiday sales opportunity, right? Which would have cost the company 60, $70 million. So, you know, it's, it's funny how, you know, just the ability to see and have that readily available information can really avoid catastrophic things if you're not, you know, if you're not really on it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I just think customers are getting smarter with information as time goes on. And I think to some extent you go back to the Amazon effect, which is, you know, people wanting two day deliveries. There's also the concept of that effect is about the accessibility of information, which I think customers now at multiple levels are like, Hey, I could get this on a package. Why can't I get this at my job? I think customers our customers, you know, or you as an end user, if you're buying something, you have a different expectation than what you might have had, you know, maybe 10 years ago, right. which is how do I not know where things are? I should, it should be easy for me to know that today. This information is fairly easy. Now it's a little more complex in a business world than it is when you're packaging one, one item that's going to in a, in, in a package, it's a little easier to track that world when it's not going through multiple handovers. But that's nonetheless that those people are looking for that information to be a lot different. Right. Now, years ago, I had a client that implemented visibility, and they did this whole thing about the hundred things that they could do with visibility that they didn't even realize until they actually turned it on. Have you seen anything in your travels recently where companies are using the information, the visibility system to kind of drive some business value than some more unique areas, say, say not a tsunami level thing or an inventory reduction, but maybe something a little bit off the standard ROI value chart that you found pretty compelling? So we have a couple of customers that are looking at inventory about the terms of when they purchase goods differently than what they might've in the past. Like most customers are purchasing inventory for most of our inbound supplies, they're purchasing at origin. So when the product leaves or gets turned over by to a consolidator or a freight forwarder, they own the freight while it's underwater. We have a couple of customers now that are looking at it a little differently that are saying, hey, you know what? I want to change those terms so that I'm paying for it as it gets closer to destination, but it's still on international water so I can save taxes. So that helps these customers reduce when that inventory hits their books and you know makes them look a little bit better over long. Now, that is a good, interesting topic. It'll be interesting with the new tax laws that come into effect, how useful that might be in the future. But at the moment of time when we were implementing it, it was actually a pretty good savings for the customer. The customer saves you know, a couple million dollars a day just by not having that inventory in a book for the majority of the journey on the water. Right, right. Well, yeah. And if you're, so the uh, liability is not on their books. Yeah, if you're a $200 billion company, I'm sure there's still going to be a lot, of, a lot of tax savings at hand, whether it's 15% or 35% or whatever the government's going to change it to. Yeah, I, there'll, there'll be some interesting aspects of yes. that, but we won't worry about that's that. That's right, that's right. This has been great, John. Thanks a bunch. I think we could probably talk about this area for, for hours, and maybe we'll do another show talking about value and get into some of these niche spots that we've been touching on. Sounds good, Greg. All right. Well, as thanks. long as you get new furniture, we'll be all set. That's right. I'm getting you a new couch <laughs> tomorrow. Thanks for coming on the show. This is Supply Chain Radio, Greg Kiefer, and we are signing off. 